All right. Hope you guys have had a great week so far. I'm definitely excited to be here today. Um, it's been uh, one of those fatiguing weeks, as always. I think uh, the older I get, the more of those I have. I think it's just me getting older, not to things changing, right? So uh, just realizing that. So thank you, men, who have already realized that, but um, I'm starting to catch up to you. So, <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and before we get started, let's open our Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. I'd like to read some passages here. John 1, most of you may have this memorized, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. This is speaking of Jesus Christ, right? Real important. The deity of Christ is one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And we cannot compromise on this, on this doctrine. Okay, So, with that, let's go ahead and get into our text. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 5. Okay, We're going to continue moving forward after our Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday um, uh, sermon. Appreciate Owen for, for doing that and giving that to us. And, um, but we're now back in 1 John. We're getting ready to wrap this uh, small book up and um, go from there. So I have been assigned verses 6 through 12 uh, in chapter 5. Uh, this is probably one of the most difficult passages I've ever dealt with in my Christian life. <laughs> There's six other interpretations of this passage out there, and um, they all have good points. I think there's about four of them that aren't real strong, and you can see, you know, the older the commentators, the the how they tried to approach it. But I think as we've as we grow more into the truth and as we we evaluate things a lot more closely. Um, um, you see the kind of the perspectives change over time, and I think we're starting to get it more on the mark. Um, you know, I almost created the seventh, you know, perspective, but uh, or interpretation of it. But I think once I got about a tenth into my thoughts, I realized that I was not going to be able to take this all the way through the passage. So, but anyways, um, let's go ahead and, and read it. Let me get First John chapter five. <clears throat> verses uh, 6 through 12. 5, 6 through 12. Here we go. Okay, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood, it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness without, I mean, about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has borne witness about his son. And the witness is this, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has a life. He who does not have the son of God does not have that life. 
Let's pray one more time. Lord God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. I just pray that you, um, this message is clear today, Lord. Um, and uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, what you gave me, Lord, and what I studied, that wasn't out of my own flesh or my own desire, Lord. I pray that it's truth and it's your truth, Lord. And um, please, Lord, um, if, uh, you know, if it is not correct, then I pray that uh, you allow me the opportunity one day in the future to correct it or that we continue with it, Lord, as your spoken word. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> we'll start out with the introduction here. So as I mentioned, Owen uh, preached a couple Sundays ago, our last section of verses, verses 1 through 5. He showed us a few characteristics of those born of God, okay? One, having belief in Jesus as the Christ, okay, that was one of them, having belief in Jesus as the Christ. The second was showing that we have love for God <clears throat> and one another, then the third characteristic is that uh, we are obedient to the commands of God. Owen ended at verse 5, which is also the beginning of the next section of verses, verses 6 through 12. Okay? This verse is very important. It is both the ending and beginning of the text before and after. Okay, so this text right here is kind of by itself. It's really more like a bridge. Okay? Uh, it brings two thoughts together, but it is its own identity, or like I said, its own section. It separates the content of truth, uh, of true faith at the ending of verse 4 and bridges the introduction of the substance of true faith in the next section of verses. So this verse is really important. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this verse because it's needed to, uh, to give introduction or to give um, context to the next verses. Now, in John... Uh, verse 5, John asks a rhetorical question. Okay? He's basically asking if there's anyone out there who can overcome the world. Right? Is there anybody out there? No. There's no one, right? No one can overcome the world. Okay? So here I already knew the answer, but that's why it's called a rhetorical question. No one can overcome the world except those who trust in Jesus Christ. But it's, uh, it's still all through the power of Christ. Okay? The only one who has overcome the world is Christ. So therefore, those of us who are in Christ can overcome it, okay? Again, that is us, church, okay? We can overcome the world, but only through Christ. If we look at John chapter 16, verse 33, Christ says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He goes on to say, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? He says, I have overcome the world. We should take courage because Christ has overcome the world. And in essence, what he's saying is that he is sharing his triumph with those who trust in him. We too can have peace as long as we trust in what Christ has done. Christ has conquered, um, has overcome the world. And because we are in Christ, we can share in that same peace and we can have that same peace. We can be confident, okay? Now, <clears throat> at the end of verse 5, we look at this verse. There's a slight change in terminology. Okay? In verse 1, uh, we'll look at, we're going to compare verse 1 and verse 5. But in verse 1, the content of true faith was that, look what, what John says, and we're going to come back to this here in a second. He says, Jesus is the Christ. Okay? This is an important, important phrase. Okay? we'll come back to it in a second. In verse 5, he's proclaiming that he is what? The Son of God. 
And you guys, well, these sound like normal titles to me, right? Yeah, and they are, but for John, they are not. And we'll look at it and, and see why it's important here in a minute. Verse 5 is proclaiming that he is the Son of God, okay? Both these two titles, Jesus is the Christ and Son of God, you know, as for us as Christians, we know that they're interchangeable, right, uh, with who Christ is. But to be called the Son of God holds a lot more weight in this context, okay? It shows the power of God revealed to us in his Son, okay? To be the Son of God is to have the attributes of God, Okay, God revealed to us his son, Jesus. That's why he is the son of God. The son of God, is the, um, the son of God is the Savior because he shares the power of God, which is greater than any created being. Okay, this is Christ. Jesus is the son of God. And there's a purpose. There's a reason why John is emphasizing this. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Gnosticism and their beliefs. So here he uses the title that reveals his power that makes him equal to the Father. To be the Son of God is to be equal to the Father, not just simply a great teacher, a prophet, or even a Messiah, but this is, he's, he's, he's taking it to another level, but he's trying to show the divine nature of Jesus Christ. This is important because it goes against the Gnostic teachings, as I mentioned. The teaching of the Gnostics was that, <clears throat> check this out, it's, the terminology is kind of off, but it's on, okay? So this is like that sheep's, uh, the wolves in sheep's clothing kind of teaching. So the Gnostics said the teaching was the Christ spirit, okay? You're like, okay, that sounds kind of normal, right? But the teaching was that Christ spirit came on Jesus, a man, at the baptism, but departed right before Christ was put on the cross. So you have Christ the man, this is Gnostic teaching, this is not what we're teaching here. You have Christ the man coming, he goes to get baptized. Remember the Holy Spirit comes down, well they call this the Christ spirit, okay? Christ spirit, Christ is the divine and Jesus is the man. They separate them. As believers, they're one and the same, okay? So what they say is that the Christ spirit came into this man and then empowered him, okay? Oops. It empowered him, and then right before he went onto the cross, the spirit leaves and leaves the man by himself. Okay, and we'll get more into that in a second. So that was a Gnostic teaching. So it's important to understand that, to understand why John is emphasizing these two titles of Christ. And we'll talk about it. Give me a second. We'll get there, and we'll go through it. So again, um, <clears throat> so verse 5 is proclaiming that he is the Son of God. Okay, he has his full power. And then the Son of God is the Savior because he shares the power, right, of which is greater than any created being. Let me see, I lost my place. <clears throat> here it is right here. Okay, so it is important because it goes against the Gnostic teachings. This teaching was that Christ's Spirit came on Jesus a man at his baptism but departed before his death. Um, this kind of reminds me, you guys remember the story of Samson, right, where the Spirit came and went. And if you ever want to do a teaching, is, is the Holy Spirit and God the same then, or is uh, God the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, part of the Trinity? You'll see where some verses say the Holy Spirit filled Samson. You'll say God came and uh, was in Samson. But anyways, um, you see the Spirit coming and going, and this is the same thought that these Gnostics have, that they're, they're showing where he, he comes in power, then he leaves. He comes in power, and he leaves to accomplish something. <clears throat> but we'll talk about that here in a minute. So uh, he, come, he came and went... Um, so it is important to understand why John is emphasizing 
that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to underline that in your Bible, the Son of God in verse 5. Okay, again, this means to be equal uh, <clears throat> with Je- uh, Jesus. It means that Jesus is to be equal with the Father and his divine attributes. And also not only that, but while he was on the cross and even at his death, we have to understand that Jesus had that full all those attributes, and he, and he was divine all the way through the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. That's real important. If not, that is another Jesus, okay, if we don't believe that. So you see how crafty Satan is. He comes in, he takes some of the terminology, some of the same thoughts that we have, and he twists them, okay? Uh, so we were talking one-on-one with the Gnostic. We're probably going to be talking about some of the same um, terminology, but it's not, the definitions are different, okay? We see this with other religions, such as Jehovah's Witnesses. We see this with the Mormon faith. And so again, uh, this is a form, of, Jehovah's Witness is actually an, another form of Gnosticism. Um, but we won't get into that today. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> uh, let me go back. So as I mentioned, they taught that the Spirit left Jesus right before the crucifixion. Now, let's go back at verse 1 once again, okay? We talked about 5 and how this is showing the divine side of Christ, okay? Now, verse 1 is just, it's just mind-blowing, okay? <clears throat> let's look back at verse 1, uh, verse one 5, 1. So we notice this phrase, Jesus is the Christ. So remember, from a Gnostic perspective, Jesus was the man and Christ was the divine, so rather than say Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul purposely, purposely says Jesus is the Christ. Okay, this phrase is used 95 times in the New Testament by other writers, but never by John until this one moment. Because John is being specific to identify who Christ is, specifically towards the Gnostic beliefs. Okay, so 95 times by Paul and Peter, but John never uses it. And here he says that Jesus is the Christ. <clears throat> so we need to pay special attention to this. It is important, again, as I mentioned, because we just learned that the Gnostics believed that Christ's spirit, the divine, came into Jesus, the man. But if we say, if we say it as Jesus the Christ rather than Christ Jesus, John is strongly emphasizing that Jesus is divine. Okay, there's no way man can come into the divine if we look at it from, that, from their perspective. So he's actually taking a shot at Gnosticism. He's saying, no, Jesus is the Christ because Jesus is divine before the baptism, before that point, right? We read in, in our reading, in the, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God, right? So that's what he's saying. He's saying this man that you're calling man, he is God, he is in, he making a case for the God-man, okay? That's what he's doing here. Um, <clears throat> I keep losing my place. It's all in white. And <laughs> Let me see here. Um, so like I mentioned, okay, so Christ. Get back here. All right, so like I mentioned, John is strongly emphasizing that Jesus is divine. In essence, he is saying that Jesus is the God-man, okay? From the beginning to the end of his life, even through the crucifixion, this Christ, this Jesus is the same person from the beginning to the end. And Gnosticism says he is a man from the beginning to the end, and the Spirit intervenes at the baptism, and he intervenes, and he, and he goes away at the, at the crucifixion, okay? 
But that's not what the Christian faith teaches. Okay, so especially since John has never used this phrase, Jesus is the Christ, again, he is making a specific point, okay? Now, if we continue to go on in our, in our verses, we see uh, uh, we have three witnesses that are going to, we're going to discuss here in a few minutes. There are three witnesses that, we be, that will be called to testify that Jesus has always been the God-man, fully man and fully God, okay? I can't explain that to you. All I can tell you is that the Bible teaches that. He's not 50-50. He's 100% man and 100% God, okay? If it was only 50% man, then he couldn't accomplish, he couldn't live a perfect life. If it was only 50% God, he couldn't resurrect, conquer sin and death, and take uh, upon the, the sins of the world. There's no way. He had to be 100% God and 100% man. That's why it's important to understand this concept of the God-man. That's who Christ is. And the Gnostics are attacking it. Um, and what's interesting is that even Martha, you remember Martha? Let's take a look real quick at, at um, uh, I almost said Martha, in John eleven twenty seven. Let's go to John eleven twenty seven. It's very important. Martha is a theologian, okay? She understands doctrine really well. She understands um, her theology. She is very sound. <clears throat> everything I just said, she says it like in five words. So Martha in John chapter 11, verse 27, like I said, she gets it right. She said to him, she says, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ. She's talking to Jesus, who the Gnostics would say the man, but she says, I believe you are the Christ. She is telling Jesus the man that he is Christ, not that Christ is Jesus, okay? She too is claiming his deity here. That's what she's saying. Then she goes on to say that I believe that you are the son of God. She is proclaiming his equality with the father. She's not separating them. She's understanding who he's claiming to be. Then she goes on to say, I believe uh, the one who, who comes, that you are the one who comes into the world, okay? The word comes here is the word from the beginning, he came, he came from another place here, okay? And she's talking to Christ face to face, this man. She's not talking to the, the God side of Jesus like the Gnostics would say. She's talking to Christ in his fullness in front of him. She says that I know you in your fullness has, have come into this world. You get what I'm saying? Her words are so deep and rich here, but we read these and we kind of just passively read over them. I've done it in the past. I did it before, but when I read this, I said, oh, Martha, you're a genius, right? She knew it. She, her doctrine, her theology is very sound here. Um, <clears throat> so, she, oops. <clears throat> so she is talking directly to Jesus and saying that he is not of this world and has come into it not that he is of this world, but that he comes from somewhere else and he is tabernacling with us, okay? So Martha got it right. She knew Jesus' true identity. Even the, even the religious leaders got the message right that Christ proclaimed, okay? They wanted to kill Christ because he claimed to be equal with God. Let's take a look at verse 7, okay? We were at eleven twenty-seven. Now let's go to verse 7. The Jews answered him, Okay, this is Christ. It says, we have a law, and by, and by that law we ought to die because he, 
I mean, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he, talking about Christ, made him out to be who? The Son of God. He is claiming to be equal with the Father. Okay? They knew what Christ was trying to say. Okay? They knew that. So Christ is claiming to be the God-man, and to them, that was blasphemy. And to us, that should be too. But they missed his identity. And we, thank the Lord, have it right. Okay? So now, let's go to our text. That was kind of an introduction. 1 John 5, uh, 6, we'll start there. So this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. So there's so many things to explain, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do a whole lot of that today. Um, if you want any information on the different perspectives of this, come see me. Um, you might have a different perspective, but I feel that this is the strongest biblical case that's out there. So I'm not going to go and explain and compare all six of them, but we're going to go straight forward with what I believe uh, is the uh, best uh, representation of God's Word. So the Word came or uh, come or came as we mentioned earlier is used to refer back to Christ total coming into this world okay um, if we take a look if you flip your uh, your your page back to chapter 4 of first John look at verse 2 okay 4 verse 2 by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has what come in the flesh is from God, okay? We see that here. He's telling us Christ has come in the flesh, okay? He didn't say the Spirit came and went into the flesh. He said Christ has come into the flesh, come in the flesh, okay? He has come in the flesh, his incarnation, okay? That's what he's saying. He's throwing, he threw a blow there at the Gnostics and and their teachings, okay? So now, let's go back to chapter 5. So this is the one who came by water and blood. So the reference by water is referring back to Jesus' baptism, okay? By John, by, by John the Baptist. The reference to blood is referring back to Jesus and his atoning death. Now, by water, the reference by water is referring back to his baptism, like I mentioned, uh, with John the Baptist, this belief was not disputed by John's opponents, by the Gnostics. Okay? Like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we believe that, you know, uh, that there was a change right here, right? The Gnostics believed, again, the heavenly Christ spirit, right? This is the same terminology, but it's not the true uh, definition of what we would say. But the Gnostics believed the heavenly Christ spirit came into Jesus, the man, at this moment. But John takes the position that Jesus was already the Christ when he experienced this baptism. Okay, so which this refutes that Christ did not descend, or this Christ spirit did not descend upon him at that point. So then what did ascend on Christ on that day? Do y'all know? Who was it that came on to Christ that day? The Holy Spirit, right? Let's look at John chapter 1 verse 32. Oh, I can read it to you. Uh, but it's really important. 1, 32, 33, and 34. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove, bless you, out of heaven, and he abided on him, and did not 
<clears throat> and I did not know him, but he who sent me, okay, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, so the Father sent John the Baptist, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descending and abiding on him, this is the one. Now think about the tense here. The one you see the Spirit coming down, he had not touched Jesus Christ yet. But the one that you see, that person that you see, the Spirit coming down, that one, uh, upon him you are descending. Uh, he said, this is the one uh, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He's saying that he is the Son of God before the Spirit even touched him. He says, that one before the Spirit, this is the Son of God. Okay? And that is the Father telling John the Baptist, revealing these truths to him. So it was the Holy Spirit, not the Christ Spirit from the Gnostics. The Father here is referring to Jesus before the Spirit had touched him, like I mentioned. Um, John refers to him as the Son of God through, throughout his whole event. He did not say, um, now this is my Son of God, but this is the Son of God, right? And so this is his fullness. That was my point. Get ahead of my notes there. Now, that's the water side, and the Gnostics really didn't have a problem with that. They agreed that there was a change here. Something happened, you know. But the, here is where we are different. He says, by the blood. Okay, by blood. As mentioned earlier, the reference by blood is referring back to Jesus' atoning death. The term blood represents the full atoning work of Christ. Okay, this is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Christ Jesus gave himself up for us while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were children of Satan, all those things. He did that for us, right? But here are a few passages to see that the term blood represent Christ's work on the cross. If we look at Matthew 26, 28, I'll read these to you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If God purchased the church, it could not have been man. There's no way. So the divine part of Christ had to have been there. So the Gnostics got it wrong. Okay? Now let's go to Romans, um, I mean, let's go to Romans 3.25, whom God displayed publicly uh, um, as a, a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now seen, I mean, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Okay, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do you see that? This is being attributed to the divine nature of God. And if it was Christ who died on the cross, then Christ had to be divine. So this is what John is saying. These are the witnesses, the water and the blood. The baptism and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, these are witnesses to what Christ has done. And this is proving his deity who he is, okay? Then we go on to see Jesus Christ, okay? John is saying this, Jesus Christ, okay? He just kind of puts that there. John is saying that G this Jesus Christ, 
he was referring to as the same person at both, both sides, right? What he's saying is that his nature has not changed. It's all the same. Now, let's look at this next section here of verses, or the next section of this verse. Not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now, remember what I said earlier, that the Gnostics had no issues with the baptism side of it. So that's why John kind of throws another punch, right? He threw a right, and here's his uppercut, right? So not with water only, but with the water and the blood. So he's throwing another rock at the Gnostics. You have to take them both. It's not just here. We've got to take it here and here. They're one in the same, right? That's what he's saying. But with the water and with the blood. John is once again referring back to the water and blood statement he just made. Then he goes on to say, not with the water only. Okay, so here he's assuming that this Gnostic, uh, again, like I mentioned, they agree to the, that uh, the baptism, we could, you know, there's some minor differences from their perspective, but they said the Spirit left right before he was crucified, but John is saying, no, this Christ is the same all the way through, okay? He, there's no change in him. Um, there's no change in his nature, as mentioned earlier, the Gnostics believe that the Christ spirit came out of Jesus before his death. Okay, so again, if that is the case, then Jesus would not have been good enough to die for us. If right at the end, the spirit came out and left the man there, we're all doomed. There is no way. Right? That's impossible. Because man is stained with sin, therefore he is no longer the perfect lamb. Okay, that can take away the sin of the world. The Gnostics got it wrong. <clears throat> okay, we would be without hope if that was the case. Now, let's look at First John, or uh, let's look at uh, same verse six, but the second half. It says, "It is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth." <clears throat> if we go back to chapter. Uh, if we go back a chapter to verse 1 and 3, and verse 4 again, let's go back to verse 4, turn the page again, backwards. This is very interesting here. He says, Beloved, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And check out verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the what? The flesh is from God. I missed that before. I, I knew that, but when you tie it back to this section, it, it gave it a whole lot more meaning. Then verse 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. There's always one who opposes God, the Antichrist. There is always a true and there's always a false, and the Antichrist is creating and deceiving uh, and taking what is pure and precious and making a counterfeit of it. And that's what he's doing with the Gnostics. He's taking the truths of the deity of Christ and trying to discredit it or cause confusion to, um, to uh, um, deceive, deceive us, okay? So this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. So we see we are to test the spirits. There is only one true spirit and that is the spirit of God that can only bear witness to the truth. 
In verse 2, we saw that if a spirit confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he is from God. Okay, the Gnostics do not believe this truth. Okay, they believe uh, in a different gospel. The gospel the Gnostics preach is not the true gospel. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That is not um, a new thought to us in, in this church. He is the source and revealer of it, and revealer of it, specifically about Jesus Christ. Okay? If we look at John 15, 26, this is Christ talking to us or to his disciples. When the advocate comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will tell us who he is. And now we see the Holy Spirit telling us who Christ is through the writing of John here in 1 John. Okay? This is amazing. The Spirit was involved at Jesus' conception. We see this in Luke 1.35. Oh, come on. Oh, I thought it died. So we, the Spirit was involved <clears throat> at Jesus' conception at Luke 1.35. This is why the Spirit gives testimony to who Christ is. His baptism in Matthew 3.16, the temptation of Mark 1.12, and he empowered him throughout his ministry. The Holy Spirit has been there through the whole life of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, if we agree with the Gnostics or, or any other false teachers, we are in essence saying that the works of Christ are attributed to a false spirit, and therefore we are committing blasphemy as did the Pharisees. So if we say that all the works that Jesus Christ did on earth and we give it credit to the, to the Christ spirit of the Gnostics, then we are saying that what Christ did was not from the true Holy Spirit and we are, and we are doing the same thing that the Sadducees and Pharisees did. We're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because we are attributing God's work to somebody who is not the true Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, Let's move on to verse 7 and 8. <clears throat> so, for there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit, we talked about that, the water and the blood, the baptism and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they're all in agreement. Okay, They're all saying that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, and that same Jesus was the one who was baptized by John the Baptist, where God the Holy Spirit came onto him and was crucified on the cross with the same nature he had from the beginning. Okay, and that's, that's that, no. <laughs> now, there are some texts, okay, and I don't know if you may have a King James volume Bible in your hand or a New King James, but there's some extra texts there that don't belong there that were added uh, uh, later on, but some of these newer um, translations don't have them in there, so I won't get into them, but uh, they've removed them from there, and uh, they, they don't need to be there. I think they actually, I know what they were trying to do. They're talking, they're trying to reemphasize the Holy Spirit, but I mean the, the Trinity, but I think it's created confusion or it takes away from the defense of John against the Gnostics, okay? And so, uh, again, you go back, evaluate it, there's some history on that, and you can go back and see why that was removed. Um, but it's only in the King James and the New King James Version. So if you have that, you can see that the extra, the extra um, words in that section. All right. <clears throat> so let's go to verse 9 here. 
So the God's testimony is greater than human testimony. It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness about his son. If we are willing to receive human testimony, how much more should one be willing to accept the testimony of the all-knowing God? Okay, I've seen people change. I'm like, man, the Lord is amazing. I've seen myself, my life change. Um, And I I just look at God and I see God for who he is and I'm so thankful for what he's done with my life. And I've seen people that he's transformed in front of me and thankful for what he's done. I see you as a church and I'm so thankful, right? But how much more should one be willing to accept the testimony of the all-knowing God? God's testimony about his son trumps any human idea or experience including the one John has been attempting to correct. So God gave testimony at the baptism of Jesus when he identified him as his son. This is God the Father speaking here. God is saying, okay, let's go, we can go back to John, uh, the Gospel of John 3, verse 31. Okay, John the Baptist hears and preaches God's testimony about his son. He says, he who comes from above is above all. This is John 3, 31 through 33. Very important. He who comes from above is above all. So he's already saying this, Christ came from above. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that, he bears witness. And no one receives his witness. Now here it is, verse 33. He who has received his witness, okay, God's, the Father's witness, has set this seal to this, that God is true. Do we believe what he said? And if he said what he said, then his testimony should be the ultimate testimony, the ultimate witness of all, okay? If God says it, then it has to be true, and that's what he's saying, okay, that he who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. If we look at, uh, and we see this too, let's look at, uh, let's go back now to 1 John. 1 John and John, again, obviously written by the same author, and he is always emphasizing the deity of Christ. But look at John 1.1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have held and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Here is the testimony of who Christ is. Like this who was from the beginning, we have heard him, we have seen him, we have touched him. This is who he is, right? This is the Christ. The Gospel of John gives testimony to his son. I'll read it to you. In John 21, 24, this is, this is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. Okay, they know his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one after the other, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There are so, there are so many things that he did that gave witness to who he was, okay? So we see these witnesses. So all these things were pinned because God's word, I mean, the, the Bible is God's word, and this is his testimony about his son. He's written God's word for us and has given us the testimony of his son. And that should be enough, okay? Now, let's go on to verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. The one who does not believe God 
has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness which God has borne witness about his son. So those who believe in the Son of God accept the witness of God. To those who hear it and reject it, they make God out to be a liar because God has written this book to man. If you reject it, and you are saying that God is a liar. Okay? Verse, <clears throat> verse 110, in, the, uh, in chapter 1, First John says, If we say we are without sin, we make God a liar. Here again we saw, I mean we say we have no sin and reject the Son, and we make God once again a liar. So if we say there is no sin, we make God a liar. And if we say that we reject the testimony of His Son, we make God a liar as well. Now verses 11 and 12, 1 John 5, 11 <clears throat> says, And the witness of this, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have that life. Okay? So John is bringing it back to the assurance he wants us to all have. All the witnesses we have discussed are to bring us to one thing and that's to have eternal life through the true Christ. The false Christ of the Gnostics cannot give eternal life. The security, the security comes into the true Christ, okay? In Christ's high priestly prayer, he prays in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. His prayer is that we may know him in truth so that we are not deceived, okay? Salvation only comes through one name and one only, <clears throat> and that is through Jesus Christ. The question is, do we want eternal life? In verse 12, there are only two responses, okay? You have life, or you don't. He who has the Son has a life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have this life. It's that simple, guys. Church, do you have the Son? That's the ultimate question after this. John defends the faith. He defends the deity of Christ, and then he is asking, where do you stand? Are you with them, or are you not? Do you have the true Christ? Because if you do, then you have eternal life. If you don't, then you have eternal condemnation. Only those who believe the Father's witness to the Son and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior have eternal life. If you refuse not to have the Son, then unfortunately, you do not have eternal life. And I'll leave it with that. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the teaching today, Lord, and um, just the John's defense, Lord, of, of who you are, your nature, Lord, the divinity, the humanity, the God-man, Lord. He did such an amazing job, Lord, and I just thank you for, allow, for allowing us to see these truths. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that guided us, that is teaching us truth, that teaches us how to apply your word every day, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for the testimony of Christ. We thank you for the love story, your scripture, your word, Lord, that you've given us the whole testament, Lord. We have two witnesses, the new and the old, Lord. We thank you for that. And God, we just thank you for um, 
allowing us to come through this passage to talk about the hard things, to talk about the difficult things. We thank you for these opportunities. I pray, Lord, that we're not ashamed of the gospel as we continue on this week, Lord. Help us to proclaim your truth. Help us to uh, um, not be embarrassed or not be ashamed because this gospel, Lord, is what gives eternal life. And that's what we just read and learned. Thank you, Lord. We love you for what you have done. And we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We pray in your name. Amen.